Hello, beautiful soul family, and welcome to the Walk On Podcast, the podcast where I try to demystify spirituality, personal growth and healing, and whatever else I feel like talking about. I'm your host, Britt Cannon, and this week is part two of last week's episode, or I guess this is, I'll be releasing this in two weeks, so the episode two weeks ago, which I know is a little bit weird to like do a part two you know, two weeks later, but it is time to take a vacation. It is time to take a break. I have been on the cliff's edge of burnout for like months now. And so has my partner. And we just want some quality time and some rest. I need to like organize my closets. I need to do a big deep clean of the apartment. It's just, it's time. It's time, it's time. And when I take a vacation or like a break, I mean, we're not going anywhere. We're literally staying home. But when I take a break, I like to really take a break. Hardly any phone usage. You know, I stay off the social meets. <laughs> I just like am fully present in my life because I think we all need a little bit more of that. So you won't be hearing from me. So sorry about this, these two parts being like so spaced out, but it's just the way it worked out. You know, it is what it is. Thank you for sticking with me. If you haven't listened to part one of this common traits of adults with childhood trauma two-parter, then go take a listen to that first. In that episode, I will identify the traits that I'm discussing, which I found through this book that I read called Adult Children of Alcoholics by Dr. Janet G. Wotitz. Uh, It's a great book. As I mentioned in the last episode, a little fatphobic, a little heteronormative, but besides that, some really great info. And as I was reading it, I was just thinking of all the people I love who embody these characteristics or struggle with these things who I know have childhood trauma and not necessarily addiction-related childhood trauma. And for me, it's hard to separate because I had all of it, you know? (laughs) Everyone was... uh, zonked out in one way or another but they were also abusive so it's hard to tell what was what um but yeah it just reminded me of of everyone I know who is open about struggling with their own childhood trauma and so I was like let me just discuss these traits but in a wider context and you know this is my uh someone who's very close to me used to always tell me like because I would get really resentful over um over being the guinea pig all the time like being the one who was like the trailblazer as far as healing or figuring things out or trying new things or trying to move things in a healthier direction when I first started out I was extremely resentful of this role that I had the you know the chain breaker in my family and because you get a lot of grief when you're the first one doing this. Anytime you're the first one doing anything, you get a lot of grief. People think you're a weirdo. They think you're trying to like disrupt the status quo in a way that makes them too uncomfortable. And so they project all their insecurity onto you. And it's just, it's like a burden. It's a burden to be that person. Um, but that's the way I was designed, baby. <laughs> and so I was bitching to a good friend of mine about it once and they were like you know you do the work and everyone else benefits and I've come to like really enjoy that and step into that and be like well it's my you know I'm into this I love reading self-help books I love healing myself I love exploring spirituality I just I'm an insatiable student but of stuff 
of, I like to do things sort of non-conventionally. I don't like an institution, you know? I don't need to get high-level degrees because academia doesn't really suit me. <laughs> I like to do things like, I like to forge my own path. And I do it in everything I do. Like, how you do one thing is how you do everything. And so I came to, like, really step into and enjoy this role. So I'm into reading these kinds of books. Every time I feel a wound come up, I take to the self-help section and see what I can learn about it. <laughs> and I get on YouTube and I look for people doing similar work to what I'm doing. And that's how I learn about myself and that's how I heal. And then I come back to you, dear podcast listener, and <laughs> convey what I found. So if you resonate with this and you'd like to find out more and do your own research, I highly recommend that book. Bearing you keep in mind... Uh, the heteronormativity, and the fat phobia. So <laughs> let's get on into it. So this week I'm going to talk about how to go about healing these things because there's just so many of them and like talking about how these patterns play out took a lot of time last time, more than I anticipated. So I had to split it up into two. So this week I'm going to talk about sort of practical healing applications or techniques that you can use for each of these. There will be a lot of overlap. If it sounds repetitive, I'm sorry, but this is just the way it is. Like basically everything boils down to self-love and boundaries. So TLDR, that's the gist. Um, so first of all, guessing what normal is. So if you endured childhood trauma for the rest of your life, you may feel like you're guessing what normal is. And that's totally normal. If you feel a certain amount of shame about that, or if you find people constantly being kind of cruel or condescending to you about you not having any idea what normal is, I ask you to please just brush it off. People who are unaware, people who can't connect to their empathy, empathy, <laughs> empathy, people who can't live in the truth that everybody is carrying their own baggage and their own shit and struggling in their own ways, people who can't like handle holding the totality of, of everyone else, who can't see past their own expectations and bullshit, they aren't really any of your business. Like, they take everyone at face value. They, it's this capitalist idea of like, or, you know, Christian capitalist, honestly, idea of like, everyone has the same 24 hours. Like <laughs> everyone has the same circumstances. Nobody should, should get special treatment. Or like, I, if I make a, an exception for one person, I'm going to have to make an exception for everyone. It reminds me of when I was in teacher school and <laughs> cause I was going to be, I wanted to be a high school choir director um, for a long time and quickly decided that I did not have that teacher killer instinct that you have to have that makes kids listen to you. <laughs> you just get trampled by these children. Oh my God. Worst, <laughs> worst work experiences of my life were in public school classrooms because I just do not have what it takes. Super, super large amounts of respect for anyone who can do that because I sure as shit couldn't. <laughs> um, but... When I was in teacher school, I was constantly frustrated by the way that they taught you. There was at once this pressure to like differentiate and, and you know, try to meet every student where they are, but also the classrooms were too full, the lesson plans were too limited, the tests they had to pass were too important, like nothing really nurtured that differentiation. And I was just always like, I feel like everyone is so 
different. Everyone learns so differently. Like this is not set up in a way that is appropriate for everyone. Like this just doesn't nurture everyone. And a lot of people carry that expectation that like you're going to be able to (laughs) apply blanket solutions to everyone or like blanket expectations to everyone and never ever waver from that and be incredibly rigid. Like that's just asking for disappointment and really for you not to be a very nice person to be around. So if anyone makes you feel upset or uncomfortable because you don't know what normal is, just realize that that's their issue. It has nothing to do with you. It has to do with their own preconceptions and expectations. And basically it's fucked them. So getting, basically you are blessed with the opportunity we're going to frame it in a positive way, to create your own normal. So for me, this looked a lot like, you know, I was raised in an environment where there were no boundaries. No one had boundaries at all. I never saw anyone lay a boundary. And anytime one of my family members, usually through a rehab scenario, would have any kind of counseling, they would come out and be like, very tentatively trying to lay a boundary and boy would they be shat all over like (laughs) no one took very kindly to this and they eventually would like go back to their own way of being because it was a lot easier to stick around in that family if you didn't if you weren't pushing back against the machine of it all (laughs) and so that's the only attempts at boundaries I saw were very quickly shot down and So through my healing and and creating my own life, right, because I think this is like a a misconception or like a limiting belief that we carry with us when we were abused as children. Like when your wounds are unconscious, you feel as if you are a victim of life. Like you feel as if things are happening to you and you have no say or control or like will over the matter, But as you heal, you get more empowered and you see that you have choice. Like when you were a child, you didn't have choice. So there was this powerlessness, this um, lack of autonomy. You know, you didn't have the resources to leave or, or you were too scared or if you were a little older, you just didn't have anywhere to go. Like there's so many reasons why you can't get out of that situation. And that stuckness becomes a story you tell yourself for the rest of your life until you realize that you can heal that and that you actually have choice. You actually have autonomy. I didn't start to realize this until I was like 26, 27. So it took me a long time. Um, if, if, if you, if you realize this at any point in your life, you're doing a good job. So like, don't worry about if you're older than that. (laughs) If you're younger than that, congratulations. Like, because the second you realize this and you kind of get in the driver's seat of your own life and you start making choices, you get to define your own normal. So normal for me has become, I spend my time with, I give intimacy to and receive intimacy from people who respect me, people who value me, people who I can trust, who trust me, people who are vulnerable with me, people who are honest with me. I share space with people, places, things, situations that bring me joy, that make me feel safe, that help me feel alive, that really allow me to be present. 
I only engage with circumstances that allow me to be in my highest integrity and I do not sacrifice that for anything. I know that my normal says that I can walk away from anything at any time because I am a grown motherfucking person and that is my divine right. And these things became my normal. Um, Over time, sobriety has become my normal. Over time, uh, monogamy by choice has become my normal. So like I started off by this compulsory heterosexuality and monogamy where it was just assumed that you would be monogamous. And then I had to unpack that, right? And like unlearn that and learn about the ways of polyamory and learn about the ways of handling jealousy and learn about the ways of like being an individual while you're still in a relationship and work on my codependency. Then I drifted into like a celibacy normal where I was waiting a really long time to have sex with anyone. And so I would date people. I wouldn't even kiss them. And the whole relationship would fall apart before we even got there. And I was like, whoa, there's really something to this. Not that I'm, if you want to be a slut, be a slut. I have certainly been a slut for much of my life. (laughs) No shade to the sluts out there. In fact, love sluts, you know, I feel like a piece of my soul will always be a slut, but um, slut pride big time. But I personally, in my journey, normal was fall in love first, ask questions later, because I'm super codependent like that. I have a super anxious avoidant attachment style like that. So for me, going slower and getting to know the person first became my normal because it was like, oh, it's actually important to figure out if you really like the person before you start worrying about how much they like you and like when they're going to text. Because I would be like sweating a scumbag dude like sweating him and then it turned out I didn't even like him that much you know it's just the pressure of like of wanting people to like you and love you and feeling like oh I'm gonna be alone forever and this preoccupation with love so when I took when I took the that all off the table and I was like I'm just gonna hang out with people like literally go to dinner have a conversation You know, if they are, if I sense them pulling away, if I sense them playing games with me, if I sense them being manipulative, if they say all their ex-girlfriends are crazy, like I would just have these like things that I'd be like, then I'm just gonna, you know, let it fizzle out. And it would until um, one stuck. And then once that stuck, we took it incredibly slow. We gave each other so much space. And now it's to a point where like, I don't need anyone else. I don't want anyone else. I'm so secure in this relationship. I feel like it's my family. I feel like it's my home. I feel like I love to nurture it. I love to give it my time. I love to give it my intimacy. It helps me heal. It's a beautiful mirror. It's just like peace and comfort and safety. And that's not to say that you can't find that in multiple relationships at once, but I'm just saying that me, little old flawed (laughs) abandonment issues, me was not able to figure that out. So all that to say, you can define what your own normal is. Your normal can be shifting and healing or shifting and changing as you shift and heal. And you don't have to carry with you the blueprint of how you were raised. You can create it totally on your own. And I think that everyone, like even people who would say that they don't have childhood trauma, everyone could benefit from creating their own normal and defining it for themselves and feeling like they're very in charge of what 
they are creating in their life. But those of us with childhood trauma, you know, the thing about like manifesting is that (laughs) sometimes life shows you what you don't want so that it can become really clear what you do want. So it just helps you refine your vision. It helps you refine what you're working towards. And I feel like those of us with childhood trauma, that is one strength that we have. Like we have seen what we don't want and we're trying to turn the ship around and go in the other direction. And so our, I feel like our ground is a lot more fertile and a lot more, this is what I always say with like marginalized people. Like in a way, <laughs> we're really lucky that society hates us and wants us dead because, or the white supremacist, capitalist, etc. patriarchy, I will say. When you're marginalized, you question everything. You know, this shit is not working for me. It makes life much harder for me. And so I'm ready to unpack it. Whereas the people with the privilege who are sitting pretty in this system, in this oppressive, uh, you know, archaic, like rigid, morally superior, like run by money, killing the planet machine, when they're sitting pretty uncomfortable, they never have to question anything. And so it's a lot longer of a journey to get to the place where you're like, I'm ready to do a communism or, (laughs) or hmm, maybe gender is a construct. You know, they just, it takes them a lot longer to get there. Whereas those of us who have been marginalized, it's a, it's a hop, skip and a jump. You know, it's like very close to get to these liberatory ideas that really set your soul and your spirit free. So don't look at it as a bad thing. You get to define your normal. You are the conductor and creator of your own reality and do the damn thing. Like make your life beautiful. <laughs> it's yours. Um, difficulty with following through. So this one I think is one of those ones that's kind of rooted in self-love and <laughs> First of all, I think, again, it's a reframing in the mind, like difficulty following through. I say all the time that everything I have ever tried, I have failed at. (laughs) Um, I went to teacher school, didn't become a teacher. I got my degree in opera, didn't become an opera singer. I had two bands. I released one album, both bands broke up and that was no more. I had a burlesque career, which I had to leave because of interpersonal um, conflicts with narcissistic people who did smear campaigns on me. And so I felt like this isn't worth it. And it's also just very capitalist. Uh, if you're broke, it's hard to do burlesque in a, cause like there are some people who are like, I don't care if you can dance. I don't care if you're good at anything. All I care about is how beautiful your costumes are. And it's like, well, all I have is being a good dancer. So I don't have the money for a good costume. A a costume that I made totally by myself would cost a couple hundred dollars. A costume that you buy from someone else can cost like thousands of dollars. So it just wasn't in the cards for me. So then I start busking. Then I go travel. I end up losing my job writing celebrity gossip, which I got by manifesting. Like it felt like a miracle getting this job. Um, I asked the universe for it. And the next day there was my friend Izzy being like, I need a personal assistant. Can anyone do it? And I was like, I can. (laughs) So I get this remote job. I get on the road. It happens for a few months and then I lose my job and then I am homeless. So (laughs) then I moved to New York. 
you know, just like just stops and starts and stops and starts and things that seem totally non-connected and that like they would have nothing to do with each other. But I'm telling you, this is how I know that nothing is wasted because because I went to teacher school, I have a training like I have this foundation of understanding how brains work, understanding what is developmentally appropriate at which ages, how information is best conveyed. I took classes on learning disabilities. I took classes on um, all just all kinds of different things and how to convey information. I had fantastic teachers who modeled for me the best way to teach. I had some not good teachers who modeled for me terrible ways to teach I just learned so much and in in that you know even this one semester I missed a class I was supposed to take and because I needed to be full-time for my financial aid to stick around my last semester in school I kind of padded my schedule with classes that I just thought would be fun one was the horror theory class And the other was a Southern Lit class with like one of my favorite writers ever. She happened to be teaching at my school and I got to like fangirl (laughs) out for a whole semester. Both of those courses, one was like all theory. So I read a lot about like um, psychology and like and philosophy and applied it to horror. And look, my first book is a combination of the things I learned in that in those two classes because in the Southern Lit class, we had to write a, like a short memoir, like a chapter of a memoir modeled off of one that we read. So my first book is a poetry book that's a memoir that is told through the horror lens that is called Flight of the Final Girl. And I first learned about the trope of the final girl in that horror theory class. I wrote the memoir about my tra- my traumatic childhood and that's what the poetry covers. It's just like, that was 12 years ago I took those classes and those skills are being put into use now, 12 years later. If I hadn't gotten my degree in opera, I wouldn't be the singer I am today. <laughs> if I, you know, it's just like nothing is wasted. Failure is just a teacher, but like if you learn from an experience, then it's worth it. It's worthwhile. And so when you have difficulty following through on something, like sometimes it just wasn't meant to be. (laughs) Sometimes it is meant to happen at a better and more beneficial time for you. And sometimes it's just, it's not done. You come back to it. This is a thing I've learned in like creating art, you know, I started this album that I'm about to like record I started it like seven years ago and I recorded demos and then I lost them and then I recorded them again and I lost them and then a year and a half ago I recorded the demos that I'm using I recorded a few of them and then like six months later when I had time I recorded a couple more and then three months later I recorded a couple more and so it's not as exponential and linear as you want it to be but I keep coming back to it so like if you write six chapters in a book and then you leave it because life gets in the way the six chapters still exist you can go back to that at any time and complete it and that's true with doctor's appointments, you know, with um, job applications, with 
big life changes. Like sometimes we have to do things in little, little, little steps. And sometimes we need a long time in between steps to like ready ourselves to try again. And that's okay. So difficulty following through can get, you can minimize that and you can recontextualize that to be, to come, to come at it from more of a compassionate place. You know, it takes me a long time in between steps. If I make a phone call and it doesn't go right, it might take me six months to try again. And next time I'll try to make it four months. And the time after that, I'll try to make it three months. And the time after that, I'll try to make it two weeks. And just like slowly but surely put your training wheels on and teach yourself how to pedal, you know, just one step at a time. And eventually you will get to a place where you are following through and you notice that you've always been following through, but maybe just more slowly than you would like or more slowly than (laughs) is really convenient. But you can heal this. You can get there. No time is wasted. No failure is wasted. Everything has meaning. Everything shapes us into who we are. You don't have to carry anything with you that doesn't serve you. So, you know, being having difficulty with follow through doesn't have to be a permanent character trait. You know, it can be something, you know, when we're traumatized, we carry self-limiting beliefs. We we have negative self-talk. Our inner voice hasn't been trained to be loving. You know, sometimes I watch these videos of these kids on social media whose parents have taught them affirmations and it makes me cry because I never heard kind words about myself. I never heard like that kind of encouragement and it makes such a difference in kids sense of self and like self-confidence to be taught affirmation work and like mirror work and to say kind things to themselves And you also have this impulse to self-sabotage. So like if you don't think you're deserving of something, you can get in your own way about it. And uh, we see this happen in relationships all the time, you know, just when things start to go, go good, just when things start to get close and intimate, people have a tendency to run away or cheat at the last second or pick a fight and cause a breakup. You know, (laughs) there's all kinds of like subconscious stuff that sneaks into our behavior that really shows us how we really feel about ourselves. And all of that is healable. All of that is fixable. Um, You're not broken. You just haven't been taught how to be loving yet. And you can change these patterns at any point. It takes work. It takes time. It's not linear. You know, there are plenty of backslides, but it is possible to do. Your follow through isn't permanently damaged. Um, you aren't a loser, you aren't a failure, you just have to reparent yourself and teach yourself how to do these things because no one's shown you before. And that's totally doable. Okay, so lying when it would be just as easy, easy to tell the truth. This is fixable by realizing that <laughs> you were taught how to lie, that you were either taught by example how to lie or you were either expected to lie to keep the peace. So like if your parent, this happened to me, if your parent figure was like needed, was really insecure and like knew deep down that they had caused you some damage, but couldn't really admit it because they can't find a way to like compassion, like it just... They can't be compassionate to themselves because too much shame comes up when they think about the truth. 
Um, that's not really on you. So you may have had to lie and be like, yeah, I'm happy. Or yeah, that didn't affect me. Or you were a great parent, even though they weren't. Uh, but lying doesn't really solve anything. Um, if we're, if a, if a partner comes to us and they're asking us how we really feel about something and we lie to keep the peace, what we're doing is we're, we're withholding the, the truth, the correct information from them. So they can't make an educated choice going forward because they don't have all the information. And we're also keeping ourselves from happiness because in our truths lies our happiness. Um, so just know that like no one taught you how to do it, that often lying in toxic families is is like the cornerstone of our survival. Like it's just a necessary evil that everyone has to do in order to just like pretend things are okay even though they're not. And this is because I always, the, the metaphor of Jenga always comes to mind when I'm talking about toxic families. So, you know, at the end of Jenga where, or like, <laughs> or I watched this really cute TikTok the other day of like all these bros in this fancy, by this fancy poolside playing this hilarious game where they have a, a cup of water that's full and they all take turns pouring a drop into the cup trying to see like who will make it spill over and so some of these guys are like so nervous they're like shaking as they pour a drop a cup a drop of water into the cup and it just keeps bubbling up and bubbling up and you know that surface tension thing where it like the liquid creates a dome over the cup and you're like any second this thing is gonna spill over <laughs> it's that you know it's the jenga tower towards the end of the game where everything's standing on one or two blocks and you have to be so delicate about the way you push the, the block out because if you put push the wrong one the whole thing is coming down and that's how toxic families are they're holding on by a thread and if you address one issue the whole thing is going to crumble and <laughs> that's what everyone is so afraid of and that's why we're not taught or encouraged to live in our truths or to be honest about the situation at hand. Before I get any deeper into that, we're about at our ad break time. So I'm going to go go to a commercial and we'll be back in a second. Bye. Brought to you by the haunted mind of Brit Cannon. A walk-on production. Flight of the final girl. A journey through the nightmare of generational trauma and into the sunrise of survival. Run, don't walk. It's flight of the final girl. Anywhere books are sold. So step one is get acquainted with your own truth. I highly, highly recommend journaling. If you don't know where to start, you can sign up for my self-love course uh, where I like give you journal prompts. I kind of facilitate the beginning of this conversation with yourself. For me, this was huge. Therapy was also huge for this. So just going somewhere really safe, whether it's my journal in my own mind, <laughs> or in a therapy session and just saying the truth of what happened. Like I had, I had spent so long lying without realizing I was lying, just like being in deep, deep denial. And I would have, you know, when my cousin Dustin died of a drug overdose 
I, it was one of these like sh- life shaking things where I was like, things are not good. You know, I would have these like moments of clarity when things would get so bad that I would be like, fuck, this is not a good situation. Like things are very quickly spiraling out of control and the illusion is failing, you know, like the illusion is faltering. And thank goodness for that, because it's not that he died, but thank goodness for these moments and that they shook me clear. I can't believe that some of these horrific, like uh, deeply wounding moments didn't shake the rest of them free of the illusion, honestly. But that's what happens when you've been, you know, four decades into an addiction and an extreme avoidance or when you're the the center of all the chaos of a family that's hard to live with you know that you've created generational trauma in your own family I'm sure that's really difficult to bear so of course there's some denial happening right (laughs) uh so admitting what happened even if it's just to yourself you don't have to share this with your family you don't have to challenge anyone with this it's just getting yourself acquainted to your own truth so tell the true story of what you've been through tell the true story of how you feel about it tell the true story of how you're affected by it realize that the fear you have of getting in trouble because of the disproportionate reactions that you endured when you were a child and you did something wrong and i'm doing wrong in quotation marks because like I don't know, man. Some of the things I got punished for were a little bit ridiculous, and I'm sure you can relate to that. So um, if you were punished for just being yourself, you know, if you were punished for for calling calling things out, you know, I once lived with, I don't know how specific I should get, because sometimes I don't know who listens. Um I once knew a person who had a a daughter who was like a preteen and the daughter once made a comment about the mom drinking a lot and this is something that happened in my childhood as well and she got so punished she got in in extreme trouble not realizing of course she doesn't know this because she's a kid she doesn't realize that she hit a nerve for her mom who was an alcoholic uh by call by just speaking on the truth but what does that do that teaches you if you tell the truth you get in trouble and then we carry that with us throughout our lives and we get into this place of lying all the time lying to ourselves lying to other people lying about what's happening and that's how you end up in an abusive relationship or <laughs> or just like being somebody who you're not So getting acquainted with your truth, getting comfortable with your truth, and then just challenging yourself to be truthful as often as you can, as like concisely as you can, still be loving, still be kind, still be considerate, still be compassionate, but prioritize truth. And this is something that I still really struggle with, not because I lie a lot, but because if it's a truth like with my boundaries or if it's a truth like with my feelings, if something upsets me or stresses me out, I just, it takes me a little while to kind of gather up the, the nerve to like voice it to someone else. And it's, it's tricky, you know, because I, I'm constantly bracing for impact that the other person is going to flip out on me. And that also is part of it. Surround yourself with people who hold space for your truth. Surround yourself with people who love you for you, who want you to be honest about how you're feeling, about what you're experiencing, about what you're going through. 
if you're someone like I have been, where you're like a caretaker as a defense mechanism, (laughs) surround yourself with people who want to care for you. Surround yourself with people who don't even allow that precedent where you're always bending over to take care of them when you need to be taken care of, you know, you won't let anyone that close to you. Surround yourself with people who won't even let that happen, who don't even create that kind of space. And just realize that that being able to be honest is a part of your integrity. It's a part of your recovery. It's a part of your healing. And then just prioritize the hell out of it. That's how you stop that one. judging yourself without mercy. I talk about this one all the time on this show because you would be amazed um, if you could like record your inner voice and then play it back for yourself, it would probably make you cry. We're a lot more aware of that, of this phenomenon these days than we were 10 years ago when I started my healing journey. But there is still this like fetishization of self-deprecation, you know, where you're supposed to hate yourself and it's like cool and funny to hate yourself. And I get it. (laughs) You know, we all love like cynicism and, um, and like making light of our mental illnesses and stuff, but it's way less cool to be healing. It's way less cool to be self-aware. It's way less cool to love yourself. I get it, you know, Gen Z. (laughs) But um, we do have a lot more like accessible information about this kind of thing. So it's probably not new information to anyone listening, especially if if you've listened to past episodes of this podcast. But judging yourself without mercy, playing that negative self-talk, extremely berating yourself for any tiny mistake or perceived mistake. I know people and like this, I can relate to this. I know people who like, if they feel like they sort of flubbed a social interaction, will lay awake night after night after night, just cringing at the memory. And they remember it so much worse than it probably was. Like you're worrying about how you, how you behaved in an interaction and the other person didn't even think about it, you know? And no one is going to judge you as harshly as you're going to judge yourself. Well, that's probably not true. People on the internet (laughs) are definitely going to judge you harsher, but that's why it's so, so important to like be compassionate towards yourself and to release that judgment of yourself. I always say it is entirely possible to take responsibility, to express remorse, to uh, to go into like an atonement or like, what do they call it in AA? Um, oh shit, what's that called? Making amends. So you can go into that kind of situation where you're like, this is how I've done wrong. I understand this is how I've hurt you and I would like to apologize. You can do that and hold that space while not judging yourself, while not being shameful or carrying shame. And it's really important to be able to do that because I think when you when people can't take responsibility, it's because their shame body, like their shame impulse gets ignited and it's so big and overpowering that they will deflect responsibility. They'll project it back to you they'll get super aggressive and defensive because they can't they can't really hold space for both they can't live in the truth and like in the responsibility 
while not feeling judgment and shame. And I really do have empathy for that. But again, I cannot be around people who do that because it's just too much, too close to my wounds. I I have to deal with people who are mature enough to take responsibility without holding shame. Because the other thing is when someone carries that with them, they, you know, how you treat yourself is how you treat everybody. And so when you meet someone who has a really, really big shame complex and all this wounding around shame, they, they sort of like, you know, we see the world as we are. They project it outward and expect it from you. So like I've had people that, you know, I tell people all the time, I'm flawed. I'm autistic. I get lost. I'm a little flaky. I'm chronically ill. Sometimes I have to bail on things you know, I'm, I'm a little forgetful. Like I really try, but these are things that I'm always going to struggle with. And, um, and I just need some like wiggle room to like be a flawed person and, and to be able to like be a little unreliable at times. If you need someone to help you move, I will be there. If you're sick, I will be there. If you need me, I will be there. But sometimes I can't, you know, stick to the plan. And I've interacted with people who like want me to feel shame. I can feel it. Like I'll apologize. I'll explain myself. I'll take the heat, but that's not enough for them. They don't want responsibility taking. They want you to feel shame. And that's because they feel shame. And so it's really important to unpack this one. It's really important to speak kindly to yourself. It's really important to be forgiving um and and get to a place of non-judgment with yourself you know I always say you can't do better till you know better but once you know better do and you're always going to be knowing better you're if you're growing you're always going to be knowing better so you're always going to be doing better and you know I look back at me three years ago and I'm like oh baby (laughs) you are not there yet (laughs) You know, and I was like balls deep into my awakening already. I had been doing this a long time three years ago, but I wasn't here. I know so much better than I did then. And I would make different choices if I were back there knowing what I know now. And that's growth. You know, that's how it's supposed to be. If you want to hear more about this one, go back and listen to my episode called Radical Self-Acceptance. There's a lot more information there. But basically, you just got to talk to yourself like a loving parent would and just imagine you and you (laughs) and you're comforting yourself and you're loving on yourself and you're telling you what you need to hear in those moments you know nobody's paying that much attention you don't have to be that embarrassed that you messed up that social interaction everyone's awkward from time to time or like (laughs) you were just hurting and that's why you acted impulsively or you know whatever just construct the kind of comfort that you need and give it to yourself and I promise you it'll make a difference difficulty having fun so this is pretty simple go have fun (laughs) if you want to hear more about this go back to my inner child episode I think it's episode number six I talk a lot about how to connect with your inner child and um, how important it is and how they hold the keys to not just fun, but like our life passions, what we want to do with our lives, like our life path and purpose. There's so much information. They hold our wounds. They hold our fears. They hold our attachment issues or at least the roots of them. Most wounds you have Uh, you know think of weeding like weeding a garden if you just pull superficially at the wound and you don't get at the root 
it's going to grow back. So you have to dig in there, do your inner child work, get the roots, and dig the whole thing out so that your garden can grow. Um, your inner child holds the secret to your fun. So like, what did you like to do as a kid? What makes you laugh? What makes you feel joy? What makes you feel light? Is it dancing? Is it drawing? Is it spinning around in circles? Is it laying in the grass? Is it looking at clouds and telling what shapes they look like? Is it a road trip? Is it, you know, is there a movie that you really love that made you laugh as a kid? Or yeah, just letting loose a little, finding people. And you know, I know that we're kind of conditioned to think of fun as adults as like sex, drinking, or drugs. <laughs> but there are many, many ways to have fun. And a lot of them may feel a little silly as a grown up, but that's exactly, they feel silly because you don't know how to have fun because you're traumatized, my love. But that's okay. You can get back in touch with it. You can find healthy fun. You can find sober fun if that's what you need. Just like have a, do something that makes you belly laugh once in a while. Feel free, like express yourself without pressure. Just don't, you know, do an art without it having to be good. Um, spend time with people who make you feel joyful. You know, actually hanging out with kids and being silly with kids is a really good way to get at this kind of freedom and fun, watching them see what they do, see how they express themselves and then follow suit, you know, walk silly down the street or, or call your friend who always makes you laugh, you know, just uh, make fun. Okay. Like allow yourself to have fun, allow yourself. This is the next one to stop taking yourself so seriously, release some of the responsibility that you've carried with you your whole life. And and just relax, be present. You know, you can find presence through meditating. Like meditating is the tool that teaches you how to be present, but you don't have to meditate to find presence. You can find presence by like, the perfect way to describe it is like, you know how in your work week, you know, you, you do your commute, you go, you do your day and you're kind of like zoned out. Like you're almost on autopilot and you feel like the time either goes by really fast or really slow, um, but you're just, you don't feel like you're living. You feel kind of like you're only operating on like a three to a five instead of like a 10. You go on vacation and you notice how beautiful everything is. You notice how the air smells. You notice, you know, like every activity you do, you feel like you're fully there. You're at a 10. You have more energy. You have joy. Like you're able to, to just be an experience and we want to incorporate that energy even in the mundaneness of our everyday lives that's presence that's the difference between being not present and being kind of stuck in our head and stuck in our mental processes and and being fully present and like getting out of our head and into life and so <laughs> that is the key just find presence be just be be without judgment, be without fear, be without thinking. You know, a lot of times our thoughts happen in spirals. And so I'll catch myself spiraling out and I'll stop myself literally and be like, wait a second, have I already thought about this? If the answer is yes, then I'm like, okay, let it go. And I'll just picture the thought as a cloud in the sky and my breath as the wind and I'll blow it away <laughs> and get it out of my head. 
Um, washing dishes. You know, I used to hate washing dishes. I love washing dishes now because I love the the um, process of making something clean. I love the water on my hands. I love the soap suds. I love scrubbing with my scrub brush. I love seeing the shiny plate at the end. Like <laughs> I love putting them in an organized way into the dish strainer. I love what when my partner is hanging out with me that we're having a conversation and laughing and talking about our days. And if she's laying down or something, taking some alone time, I love listening to music and dancing around the kitchen or learning uh, from a YouTube video. You know, like find ways to make life joyful. Find ways to be present in in each moment. It's a process. It's a journey, <laughs> but it's beautiful and it pays off and it really does release the stress and the pressure and the it allows you to click a little bit more into fun and enjoyment. Extremely responsible or irresponsible. So the solution to this one, if you're one, is to engage a little bit more with the others. So like responsible, responsibility and irresponsibility are two sides of a scale. And if you have a little too much of one, then you need to add the other, <laughs> which sounds really simple, but it's not. So I've gone back and forth on these in my life. I was very responsible as a kid. And then at 16, I had my nervous breakdown. And then I was like, fuck it. And I became super irresponsible. And then in my early 20s, I was like super responsible again. And then I was like, fuck it. And I went crazy for a couple years. <laughs> now I'm back. I'm like reorienting myself with responsibility and like becoming a grown up and paying my bills and doing all that stuff. And, um, and this is just a coping mechanism. This is just a survival technique. You know, you, this all of the other ones are sort of incorporated into this one. So like if you can be present, if you can get out of judgment, because like that severe, harsh judgment that you put on yourself makes every task heavy, you know, makes every task just kind of fraught with this like draining energy. And God forbid you make a mistake. Then here comes the self-flagellating voice again, telling you what a piece of shit you are. And it takes so long to get yourself back to be able to try again. Like everything is kind of tied together in this list and kind of fuels all the other traits and hangups. And, and so when you start to kind of heal one, they pay off for the other one. So like if you can be present in your life, you can be present with the moments of joy. You can also be present with the problems. So now, like in my life now at 34, <laughs> I am fully aware of my triggers. There is no, I know when I'm triggered and I know what the core wound is. And that's because I've done the work. That's because I got acquainted with my truth. And so when I feel a wound come up, I'm like, oh, I'm a little triggered right now. And I can literally say that because I'm not ashamed of that truth. I understand that everybody has triggers, that everyone gets triggered. There's nothing shameful about it. I'm not shameful of my childhood. I'm not shameful of being a survivor. And so I can just speak on it and then I can give myself what I need. Um, so most of the time, because I've worked on these even if I get triggered, I can still be present with the task at hand. So like, say, you know, I have less money in my bank account than I thought I did. Instead of spiraling out and being like, I'm never going to have what I need. I'm always going to be broke. Blah, 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 blah. Life sucks for me. I'm never going to have what I want. I'm never going to succeed. I'm, all of this is unavailable to me because I'm a loser. Like just 
maybe I should die. Like that's, that's the spiral I used to be on. Um, now I'm just like, oh, that sucks. Well, I guess I'm going to have to spend a little less. Like it's so simple. It's so simple. Or just kind of like, ugh, I'm going to have to make a little extra this month. You know, just I can be present with the problem and I can go to the solution without jumping through all these hoops of like unnecessary self-abuse. Um, uh, if you're, if you're in a place of irresponsibility, if you're super avoidant, if you find yourself distracting with like substances or with bad relationships or, you know, in the many, 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 many ways that we find to be avoidant, um, engage with self-love, engage with self-care, think of self-care of responsibility as self-care. So like, I'm still working on this too, like making doctor's appointments, taking care of yourself on that level, filling out paperwork that you need to fill out, (laughs) making sure that like you're, that you do your dishes, um, often enough that you have clean clothes to wear, you know, just like these little brushing your teeth, showering these little going for a walk little tiny things that don't seem that significant that really do put in place the building blocks of being responsible in a balanced way and if you're super duper responsible that probably means that you're a little rigid a little controlling with yourself and and maybe that you're like a chronic caretaker and So in order to be, to balance out, you need to like release a little bit of that responsibility. One way that people are too responsible is like, if you've been in a lot of emotionally abusive relationships, you may find yourself apologizing or taking responsibility for things that are not yours. So like, um, (laughs) you know, like, your partner comes home and they had a bad day and you're like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And you're just like tiptoeing around them to try to make them feel better and take care of them when they could just be like, I had a rough day and not put it on you. But they put it on you and now you feel responsible for it. Or people who are traumatized, even when you're after you're in a healthy relationship, you may still feel responsible for the other person's mood or for the other person's hangups or for the other person's whatever. And instead of just existing in a place of like, um, sharing and giving reassurance, you're being like, you're doing this to me. Or like the person being like, you're doing this to me, to you. And you're like, I'm so sorry. I definitely am, even though you're not. So again, a way to, (laughs) to balance out is to realize what's yours. I'm responsible for myself. I'm responsible for my feelings. I'm responsible for my choices and you, my friend are responsible for yours and I'm not picking that up. And so when I'm engaging in like, especially a a conflict sort of situation with someone else and I'm like, here's my shit. This is how I feel. This is how I'd like to move forward. And then the other person is like, well, you this and you that and you this, then I'm like, I'm not picking that up. That's yours. If you can't take responsibility for your stuff the way I have for mine, then we cannot engage in this conversation and I'm going to remove myself. Like just (laughs) real simple shit. Um, Just try to parse out, like as you get acquainted with your truth, just try to parse out what you're actually responsible for and what is other people's. And once you can create that differentiation, then it should be a little bit easier. You should feel a lot less pressure and you should feel a little bit more comfortable because maybe it's not as much as you thought it was what is actually in your jurisdiction. (laughs) And that's really the key to that one, I think. 
um, overreacting to changes over which you have no control. So for me, the solution to this one is just be water, my friend. (laughs) Just fucking flow. I'm going to read you this Bruce Lee quote. It's one of my favorites. I used to have it on my wall on a big poster. Um, Be like water making its way through cracks. Do not be assertive, but adjust to the object and you shall find a way around or through it. If nothing within you stays rigid, outward things will disclose themselves. Empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless like water. If you put water into a cup, it becomes the cup. If you put water into a bottle, it becomes the bottle. You put it in a teapot, it becomes the teapot. Now water can flow or it can crash. Be water, my friend. And that is it. Like the rigidity is is your ego trying to protect itself. The rigidity is from the fear. And that's because in a childhood that's tumultuous, (laughs) all change is bad change. You know, things only change for the worse. They rarely change for the better. If they change for the better, you might be a little bit more secure, you know? Um, Or if they even neutrally changed, you might be a little more secure and a little less afraid of change. It's not your fault, but it is your responsibility, ding, 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 there we are again, (laughs) to correct it because you're an adult now, you're in charge of your life now, and you can make choices. You You can choose to respond, you can choose to react, you can choose to adapt, and that's all within your control. Um, but the secret to like healthy control is to not control anything. So if you get, you know, if, if you experience a breakup out of nowhere, or if you, if you have a health problem, or if you lose your job, or I don't know, you know, if you come into work and there's like unexpected stuff that you have to take care of that you didn't plan for or whatever, you know, there's many, many ways this can play out understand that life is always unfolding that the saying that like make a plan and god laughs is (laughs) extremely true but that every this is a mantra that i use all the time everything is working out for my highest good if something doesn't happen right now that i want then it might happen at a better time for me or it might not be the right thing for me at all i would like this or something better i want this or something better i want this or something better and if it's something better i will be open to it however it unfolds i am open to the unfolding i am receiving the abundance of the universe like just open, 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 release, 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 surrender, surrender, surrender. Um, We have actually very little control over what happens to us in life. And so much about life and learning and growing and being is about how we respond to that change. And the more resistance you have, the less pleasant the unfolding is. The universe will present you with many chances to change course or to flow in a different direction. And, you know, you never miss an opportunity. (laughs) They will keep coming. The universe is very persistent in that way. Um, It's like a, like a bus, you know, you miss one, there'll be another one in 15 minutes. And um, so don't stress it, you know, don't worry about it. You're never missing anything. It takes as long as it takes. But to surrender to what is, 
you know, as in it is what it is, is so important. Uh, it just, it makes things a lot easier. It takes the pressure off. It takes the responsibility off. And it's that serenity prayer thing again, like allow me to change what I can change to accept what I can't change and the wisdom to know the difference. Cause while you're worrying about how to change something that is without like without your power to change, like you have no control over this situation and you're just worrying about it or trying to change it against the will of the universe, <laughs> the things that you actually have power to change are going unchanged, you know? So just put the energy where it belongs, put the surrender where it belongs, and life will get easier. I promise you. Um, let's see. <laughs> Constantly seeking approval or affirmation. So when you grow up in a household where there isn't an abundance of approval or affirmation, of course you're hungry for it. Of course you're starving for it. Of course, of course you're thirsty for it. Release the shame about that. Of course you need it. <laughs> um, but chances are, if you grew up in a household like that, then you grew up to be drawn to similar types of people who will not give it to you. This is, it goes back to that thing I was just talking about, about change what you can, release what you can't. I have spent so much time with people who do not affirm me, who refuse to support me, and who in fact seem to have a certain amount of, of stake in doing the opposite, in picking on me, in um, undermining my confidence, in discouraging me. Like since childhood, over and over and over and over again, people making fun of my weight, people telling me I can't sing, people making fun of my autism, people, you know, just... <laughs> picking on me and it wasn't until I started affirming myself that I started vibrating towards people who would also affirm me and that doesn't mean the people who love me now are like up my ass it just means that they don't seem to have any like ill will towards me they don't if if they think I'm doing a good job they say they're proud of me like if they see me doing something cool, they're like, good job you. If they see me making positive changes, they let me know that they see it. And uh, and that all came after I started doing it for myself. So I have my like positive affirmations I say to myself. I have my, my methods and my techniques for like getting myself back on track if I'm feeling down about myself. I do my meditations. I write in my journal. I find gratitude and and I'm just aligned more to experiencing that. Now, I will say <laughs> I still don't feel as if I have enough in my life. Like I could definitely use more. So I think the wound is pretty deep in me. I mean, who doesn't love affirmation? You know, who doesn't love like a compliment or two? <laughs> um, but if you're out of alignment with them, if you're in a place where you're always beating yourself up, where you're so thirsty for these things, but you can't even give them to yourself, if someone outside of you tries to give them to you, you're just going to bat it away. Like it's not going to resonate. It's not going to land. So in order to be able to receive these things um, and to align yourself with more of it, you have to give it to yourself. So get a journal, write some affirmations, do your mirror work where you stand in front of a mirror and you tell yourself good things about yourself. Uh, if you do a good job, if you like complete a task that was hard for you, it's okay to be like, good job, baby. 
you did good, baby. I'm proud of you. Like, talk to yourself like a good, sweet parent. Really pump yourself up. Really encourage yourself because I can tell you from experience, most people aren't going to do that. They're so uncomfortable with the vulnerability of that kind of sentiment that they don't do it. I mean, how many times do we hear the trope of like, I should have told them I love them. I don't know why I didn't. Like, I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't put my put it through my words. I should have told them I was proud of them. Like, tell them. Tell people when you think good things about them. Listen to people when they say good things about you. And most importantly of all, give those things to yourself. <laughs> Feeling different from other people. So for this one, I feel like go all in. Like, lean into it. You are different. I'm different. <laughs> everyone is different everyone's unique life experience makes them different and that is what's beautiful about life in the world feeling othered is not a good feeling (laughs) feeling lonely when you're with people isn't really great and there is this kind of like loneliness this shame this sadness that has lived in people who who have survived childhood trauma since the days of being traumatized initially you know you just carry this with you of like no one understands me everyone's a lot happier than me everyone's a lot freer than me everyone's handling life so much better than me I don't understand why life is so hard for me and it's so easy for everyone else but I can assure you that most people feel this way because we're all different and because we all carry our own set of struggles if you're into astrology you know that exploring your birth chart can like I mean your trauma is in your birth chart like it's really wild but it truly is <laughs> you can find it in there and um and so it's sort of like you're that's your experience that's your tonal frequency as you vibrate vibrate through this life that's your that's who you are and if you can if you can embody it, if you can embrace it, if you can love all the parts of yourself, even the wounded parts, if you can find compassion, if you can give yourself affirmation, if you can realize that we're all different, if you can celebrate that difference in others and celebrate that difference in yourself, if you can realize that everyone is struggling in one way or another, some worse than others, like speaking systemically, but even that is like, um, you know, engage with the compassion, you know, engage with the understanding, educate yourself, empower yourself, uh, give people the benefit of the doubt, give yourself the benefit of the doubt, be around people who give you the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> and and like does tend to attract like, so you're different, but but there is a, there is a partner for you or partners for you. There is a, a chosen family for you. There is there are people out there who feel so comfortable and so resonant and so safe and so just same to you. Like we all have that out there. We all have that available to us. We all have a family where our family failed to show up for us. And that is all available to you. And so the difference you're feeling is both a positive and a result of the wounding And as you heal, you'll feel more 
solid in who you are. You'll feel less shameful about who you are and that will make you more confident and more open and more magnetic and you will start to see the reflections of yourself in others as a beautiful thing instead of a triggering thing and you'll be drawn to the right people who will be drawn to you. Um, which brings me to my next point. I'm going to do a whole episode about this and I'm also running way over time, so I'm not going to dwell on it too long, but extreme loyalty, even when it's inappropriate. So extreme loyalty, even if someone is not even remotely loyal to you, and this is like toxic relationships 101. There's always a giver and a taker. And the giver is super duper loyal, like ride or die status, and the taker is not. (laughs) And even after time and time again of getting hit in the face with red flag after red flag after red flag, you can't see it and you can't stop yourself. And I think the key to this one is just understanding that that extreme loyalty is seen as a virtue when you're in a toxic family because they all have this cult-like mentality and they all exist in this place of dishonesty and denial and so you get trained this woman that i watch on youtube all the time called the crappy childhood fairy she has a word for it it's called crap fitting which you know she's like a 50 something year old mom so she like uses words like crap but (laughs) shit fitting Uh, (laughs) but it's where you just like uh, uh, you just um, acquaint yourself to less than desirable circumstances. Like you just kind of like explain away toxic behaviors. You just kind of like, I don't know exactly how to explain it. You just align yourself with stuff that is not good enough or like that doesn't meet your needs, that doesn't allow you to be in your integrity, where you're being treated poorly, where you're unhappy, unfulfilled, your needs aren't met, and you do it because you think that's like all you deserve, or you do it because that's how you've always been in relationship, even with your parents or your family of origin. And so you make excuses, you know, you get in denial, you can't face facts. I mean, the amount of people that I have like clients, friends, partners, like everything, the amount of people that I've talked to who are like spelling out in their relationships, like, well, my partner does this, like they, they do this thing where they like shower me, shower me with love and attention. And then the second they, I do something they don't like, they abandon me completely and freeze me out or (laughs) they yell and scream at me and they shame me. And And they talk shit about me to everyone who will listen. You know, they like spell out like the hallmarks of an abusive relationship. And then when I'm like, you do realize this is abuse, right? And they just like go into denial mode. They can't handle it. That's crap fitting. That is, um, that is what you were trained to do in childhood. And it is transcendable, but it does take some work. So just giving what you get, you know, treating others how you wish to be treated and And if someone can't treat you the way that you would like yourself to be treated, it's okay to distance yourself. It's okay. It doesn't make you disloyal to walk away from someone who's mistreating you. It doesn't make you a bad friend. It doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't make you incapable of love. It makes you capable of self-love. It means you love yourself. So, uh realizing that loyalty is a two-way street is a big 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 deal but I'll talk about that more next week and then the impulsivity this goes back to that responsibility thing realize that the um 
the <laughs> what's the word the pressure you feel the um, intensity the time constraints the urge to rush the thing of like this needs to get done right now I need to figure this out right now like the I can't think of the word but the the other feeling of impulsivity like the if I don't do this now it'll never happen sort of thing <laughs> the um triggering that happens in a relationship where you're like if I don't put out right now if I don't lock this down if I don't move in immediately if I don't you know, make this official. If I don't post a picture on Instagram, then it's all going to fall apart. Like that sort of feeling of like haste and quickness and pressure and, and like a race to the finish line. All of that is an illusion. All of that is just, a um, uh, a reflection of a wound. Like it's, you're just being triggered there is nothing that can't wait till tomorrow. Like there's no, I mean, there are, if it's an emergency or something, but like most, most of the time, if you take a second, if you sleep on it, if you don't respond right away, if you take your time, if you write it out, if you do a pros and cons list, you know, if you, if you kind of force yourself to slow it down, if you tell yourself, I'm not going to make any decision when I'm triggered, I'm not going to make any decision that feels like I have to do it right now. I'm not going to make any decision when I'm in a place of like, adrenal overload. <laughs> I'm only going to make decisions from a calm, centered place after meditating and doing my pro-con list, and then I will make my decision. Um, things will go a lot more smoothly, and you won't have to spend so much time cleaning up after the fallout of impulsive decisions. So just take your time, go slow. There's plenty of it, like <laughs> time that is. You can, anyone who's rushing you to make a decision, you can always be like, I just need a minute. Can you give me some time? You know, pressure is the enemy of freedom. Just like release, release, release. Go slow. If you feel a pressure to go fast, slow it down. <laughs> Um, and if you do make an impulsive decision, like realize that there might be consequences that you didn't think of. This was, uh, you know, I loved my time on the road. I can't wait to do it again. But if I were going to do it again, I would plan a lot better. I would have what I needed in place because I did it before in such a haphazard way. <laughs> um, a lot of the mistakes and the hardships that I experienced then, I will not do again because like, I know better how to do it in a more comfortable and sustainable way. So I learned a lot from that impulsive decision. It felt impulsive out of necessity because I had to get the fuck out of the situation I was in. And I did feel like if I don't do it now, I might never do it. But uh, if I were to do it again, I would be, I would go a lot slower. I would plan a lot better and I would make sure I had the things I needed. And I would also be prepared that like things happen that you don't plan for and it's going to be more expensive, more time consuming. And like, <laughs> I don't know, like everything in life, like there's just always going to be consequences. There's always going to be um, an unknown element that will rear its ugly head at certain moments and then it's your job to adapt and respond and that's as it should be and I would just I wouldn't be living in such a place of like 
romanticization so that I would be unpleasantly surprised when hiccups happen. (laughs) And I'm this way in everything. You know, I was such a, I lived in such a fantasy before that I was always kind of a little disappointed in the outcome because it didn't feel like I was going to, like I was anticipating it would feel or because it wasn't as magical as I thought it was going to be or whatever but as I get my feet more on the ground it's like this is all part of it you know this is part of the journey of life is like bumps in the road and hiccups and backslides and revisiting things you thought you understood and you know that's just it is what it is so I hope this resonated with you I hope you got some tools from this episode sorry it's a little long but whenever I go through these list ones you know, it's hard to tell if it's going to fit in an hour or not. I hope that both these two episodes really helped and um, I hope you found some healing. I hope that it inspired you to carry on in your path towards self-love and self-actualization and I hope you find some joy. I hope you find some laughter. I hope you find some peace and I hope you feel a little bit more comfort and security in knowing you can heal yourself. The Walk On Podcast is a production of Walk On Productions. It is written, recorded, hosted, produced, and marketed by yours truly. (laughs) That's right, folks. It's a one-person dog and pony show. If you'd like to help keep us afloat, you can donate on our anchor.fm page. That's anchor.fm backslash Brit dash Cannon. You can also go to my website, BritCannon.me, to access lots of other things like the blog that goes along with this podcast, my two YouTube channels, the Walk On Podcast YouTube channel, and my personal YouTube channel that features my poetry and music. You can access the album Shiny Silver Snakes that I made with my good friend Lokomoko. You can find... Mantra, the EP that Walk On, the theme song to this podcast, is part of. And you can find Flight of the Final Girl, which is my debut poetry collection. There's also merch, t-shirts, stickers, mugs, lots of other stuff with swears on them. (laughs) There are photos, videos, and links to all of the services I offer, including tarot readings, astrology readings, mentorship services if you'd like some one-on-one consultations outside of the realm of tarot and astrology and you can also access my self-love course which is a 30-day journal-centered self-love course that is designed to help you build a deeper friendship and more loving relationship with yourself there are journal prompts guided meditations self-care rituals letter writing assignments and a whole lot more Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for doing the work. Happy healing. Until next time. Bye.